Welcome to the table. We are here to fellowship over God's word and get bread for our journey as we walk through our everyday lives. You know, the Bible teaches us that iron sharpens iron, and that's why we're here and that's what we're doing uh, as we come together with one another online with believers from all over the earth. That's the beauty of technology and the way that the Lord is using it for His purposes and His glory. My name is Krista Smith, and I'm a facilitator with Tour of Truth, along with Pastor Sylvia Laughlin and Pastor Jed Robine. Uh, J Pastor Jed is gonna be hosting our meeting this evening. Um, I want to highlight though, before we begin, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And we as his followers, we don't have all of the answers, but we know that he will lead us in all truth. And so we're just going to search the scriptures together. And I want to make sure that everyone that's on with us understands that this format is participatory. We've been reading the Bible on our own, following a reading plan that's available at touroftruth.com. And uh, you can also find it at touroftruth.org. Um, but you can download that plan if you don't already have it. And you can also download an app that will help you follow along with where we're at in the readings for each day. And so we come together here online Monday nights at 7.30, same time every week to discuss what we're reading in the Word as the body coming together as the early church did. We just came together, they came together um, as um, followers of Yeshua, Jesus's Hebrew name. And they, you know, fellowshiped over the Word and allowed the gifts of the Spirit to flow within His body with Him being the head. And so we're going to do the same thing here. And so as I told you, this um, is participatory. So uh, we do want you to feel comfortable to engage um, online, to ask questions if you feel led, or to share what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you. Um, the way we'll begin is we'll start with prayer and um, then uh, Pastor Jed, as he's hosting, will give an overview of some of what we've been reading um, to get us started. So before we begin, I'd like to ask Pastor Sylvia to open us up in prayer. Pastor Sylvia, could you lead us in inviting the Holy Spirit um, to join us in this meeting? Amen. Absolutely. We are so thankful unto God that he allowed us to come and be here again on tonight. Don't know what your day was, your last week or anything else, but I want you just to begin to focus on that he is the Lord, that he is our God, that he is strong, that he is mighty, that he's right there with you because he promised that if two or more join together, there in the midst is he. Can you just take everything and Put it aside and focus on him. Focus on the king. Focus on the Lord of lords, the one that is magnificent, the one that is holy and righteous, the one that is our divine enabler that enables us to do all things. Can you see that he's looking at you right now? For he made you for his great and his good pleasure. He loves you and he's pouring out his love unto you you. He desires for you to draw near so that he can draw near unto you. Put everything, every ounce of you into focusing on Jesus Christ, his majesty, again, his holiness, his righteousness, the 
one who is, was, and is to come knows you by name. He knows the very number of hairs on your head and he has invited you into an intimacy that is beyond anything that you could ever understand and comprehend. Just begin to acknowledge him in your spirit. You are the Lord. You are the Lord our God. Oh, blessed be your name. Worthy are you. Oh, when we stand in awe of you and in your majesty, we are my Mindful that you are God and you are God alone. From before time began, you were and you will always be. There was not a time when you were not God. And now, nor will there ever be. Because everything was made by you, created by you, and exists through you. And in all of creation, everything you formed, you took what was unseen, making it seen. And you took time out to make each and every one of us. And we are so grateful and we're so thankful, Lord God, for it is not your desire to leave us the way that we are, but in every encounter with you to take us deeper into revelation because deep calls unto deep. And we understand and know that, again, you set everything into existence. You control time and space. And therefore, Lord God, you are larger, greater, and mightier than any situation in any circumstance. And therefore, we come, oh, Lord God, humbly before you, acknowledging you are the Lord. You are the Lord forever and ever. You are the Lord our God. And we thank you, Lord God, as we give ourselves over to you on this night, saying whatever it is you desire to do, Please have your way because you didn't come to serve us. We came to serve you so that your glory could be upon us. And we desire every aspect of you and your kingdom. So lead Holy Spirit, guide and direct us, teach us the things from above, reveal the Father's wisdom unto us as you reveal Jesus Christ our Lord, his, our Savior, our King, his heart and everything. Thank you for, you are the one that inspired the word to be written so that we could read it and delight in it and you could teach us. Teach us even deeper and take us further on tonight. As you lead us through the one you have chosen, Jed, on tonight to represent and to lead you in leading, uh, being led by you to lead us into spiritual truths. Open our eyes so that we can see and our ears like never before. And open our mouths so that we can acknowledge and give you praise, honor, and glory. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Amen. And so before I pass the baton to Pastor Jed, I want to just unpack just a tiny little summary to kind of get us to where we are in case you're just jumping on with us in this book of Job. So I'm going to run through just really quickly and then pass it to him and he'll He'll take us into the scriptures and the questions um, that he was pondering uh, that we can discuss together. So I want to point out quickly that the book of Job, just want to put a reminder that it's the oldest book in the Bible. And Ezekiel lists um, Job in um, 
he lists his name along with Noah and Daniel as one of the most, the three most righteous men who ever lived. And in the New Testament, James referred to Job's perseverance as an example to his readers. And so the book begins, you know, it started out with this heavenly plot of God meeting in heaven with Satan. God argues that Job loves him just because he loves him, you know, and not because of the blessings um, that Job's received. And so Satan starts claiming, you know, to God that if he takes away um, Job's blessing, then then Job would just curse God like so many others have. And so God allows this time of testing. And that's what we're seeing as we're going through the scripture. We're in the middle of that. And Job has these three friends, you know, who each speak three times throughout the book. And one's name is Eliphaz. um, And he believes that Job is being punished because he sinned. And his friend Bildad, um, he's got very little patience or compassion for Job. He tells Job that the reason that he's lost his children is because they were sinners who deserved God's wrath. And as far as Bildad is concerned, if you sin, you suffer. And Zophar accuses um, Job of talking to cover up his guilt. So he's claiming that, you know, if Job isn't consciously aware that he's been sinning, maybe he's been sinning unconsciously. So he insults Job and tells him basically to choose between the broad and the narrow way, which is either the wicked or the righteous way. So he admits in his discourse, you know, to being kind of puzzled by the prosperity of the wicked. Um, But then he says, you know, well, that's, it's short-lived anyway. So he he recognizes that Job's wealth is gone. And so he assumes that Job must be wicked. Um, But the arguments of Job's Job's friends actually we're going to see turn out to be um, examples for us of ways that uh, we should not apply biblical doctrine. You know, we need to hold firmly to correct doctrines, but we also need to be careful about how we apply them to individual people and circumstances. And to give you an example, you know, sometimes it's true to say that someone isn't healed because they don't have faith. But we would really need to have considerable wisdom, like a true word of knowledge from God to us about that situation and that person before we should give that kind of counsel to a particular person, because it could also be damaging. And that's kind of what we're starting to see in Job. And so Job makes nine speeches where he's basically saying that God's responsible for his suffering. And he even says essentially that he wants to put God on the stand as if it were like a courtroom and a trial. And he claims that he'd be able to win the case against him. And during Job's speeches, he asked to speak with God 36 times and he gets his wish. And so at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Jed. Yeah, you got to be careful what you ask for. You might get it. <laughs> Job's uh, Job is a profound book and a great summary, Krista, and great prayer, Sylvia. It's great to be with everyone. Um, <clears throat> and what's in my heart just to share uh, for a few minutes as we kind of get, get going into it. We finished this basically the second half of the book uh, this week from Job 22 to Job, the end of Job 42. Um, and I think there's a very important book for us in this time because it's it's dealing how do we deal with trouble how do you deal with suffering anybody going through anything hard in your life right now uh you know jesus says in john 16 verse 33 says in this life you're going to have trouble in this world 
but take joy for I've overcome the world. So our life is hidden with Christ. And as we're his disciples, he doesn't, uh, there's no bulletproof vest that insulates us from having trouble and tribulation. Certainly prayer, we can seek the Lord and he can deliver us. Sometimes he does not. (laughs) And we go through hard things in life. And that's part of the gospel. Part of the gospel is learning how to suffer and to have faith and to endure. In fact, in the book of Revelation, that's two times in the book of Revelation. It says this is written down so that the saints will endure. Um, And so Jesus warns us in Matthew 24 of some things at the end of the age. He says, see, I've warned you. These things are coming. But don't let your heart be troubled. And so Job is a very good book for us to study because in it lies some principles that will help us as we endure and navigate different challenging things that come our way. So, you know, Job doesn't understand why all this has happened to him. But just to summarize the story, you know, Satan is a character in the book. Uh, you know, he, he's Job is suffering because Satan asked to sift him. And so one of the things to think about is, you know, a lot of people don't believe in Satan. Some people would read Job and say, this isn't, he's not a real man. This is a, uh, a a parable. This is, this is not an actual story that literally happened. Um, I believe it did because the Bible, as Krista pointed out, references Job as a real man and relates to him as a real man. And Jesus relates to Satan as a real being, you know, for example, uh, in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Jesus says to the apostle Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And so it's kind of a callback here in the beginning of the story of Job. You know, Satan asks God permission to mess with Job. And he's given access to do that. And so one of the things we're going to have to navigate is we're told not to be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Uh, The Bible tells us that Satan is prowling around like a lion, and that's in 1 Peter uh, 5, verse 8. And so it's interesting that that's the Apostle Peter. You know, he was asked, he was was sifted by Satan. So if any apostle is going to know, hey, he's real, he's prowling around like a lion, it's going to be Peter. Um, And he's there to tell us, hey, this is real. Um, And so, but I want to say this, Job is not about glorifying Satan in any way. And we don't focus on the work of the enemy. He is playing a part. But the story is really about Job, his friends, and God. And so as we tilt into the the second half of this book, it can be boiled down, I think, to two two main lessons. How do we personally respond ourselves when we are suffering? What's a godly response? And two, how do we walk with other people when they are suffering? And as Krista just pointed out, there's all of these speeches. Um, and basically, you know, God shows up at the end of the book in Job 38, and he he arrives and he, he actually says, first thing, who is this that darkens my counsel with their words? I mean, it says he speaks to him out of the whirlwind. So something dramatic happens and God shows up and his first statement to Job and his friends is, who? Who is this that is speaking about me out of ignorance, basically? And we're confronted, Job confronts us with some difficult truth about what it means to be a human being. Number one, we don't 
We don't have all the information. Job, Job didn't have all the information. He was, he was, he was attributing his suffering to God uh, when he had no idea what had taken place with Satan. You know, uh, he, he, he was missing some key uh, uh, information that could have clarified what was going on. In fact, God gave Job an incredible opportunity to vindicate God's name. That as a human being, he, he, he never curses God, even though his wife is telling him throughout, just blame God and die. Just give in and, and he won't. Job will not uh, blaspheme the Lord. And so he's given this opportunity as a human being to vindicate God's name in this kind of contest between God and Satan. Um, God ends up giving Job twice as much as he had before. So Job ends up getting really blessed um, through the process. But the Lord has many questions that he lays out to Job beginning in chapter 38 through the end, where it's basically, were you, by your wisdom, have you accomplished anything? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the world, when I gave the horse's strength? You know, he starts to look at creation and just basically he's putting Job in his place. And he's putting Job's friends in their place to remind the, us all, we are actually, we're creatures. He is the creator. And it's his wisdom. And it's his world. It's his ways. It's his authority. And he, he doesn't mince any words uh, when he deals with Job and his friends. And this reminds me, one of the verses that as I was praying about tonight, that the Lord reminded me of is in, in the book of Romans. Paul says in uh, Romans 9, verses 20 and 21, uh, I'll just bring it up. He says, uh, who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? Now, this takes us right to the core of the uh, struggle between humanity and God is in the Garden of Eden. Satan, who's a character again, is there and his temptation is God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because if he knows if you do, you will be like him and you will be God. That is the temptation in the heart of every man and woman is self-rule, my way. I, I want it my way, not God's way. And so we come out from God's authority. And as the clay are saying, I get to tell you, the, the potter, what I want to be as the clay. And the book of Job levels that and just takes us back to the basic, simple truth there is a creator. He created everything, and that includes you, and that includes me. And none of us were there when God laid out creation. And so he reduces us back down to a position of humility and dependence, and which is actually the wisest position for a human being to be, is recognizing that our, our very breath, our next breath comes from God. We get up in the morning tomorrow because God allowed it. The hairs on my head are counted, and so are yours. And, you know, thank God he's a kind, generous uh, king. The Bible says that the, he pours out 
rain on the unrighteous and the righteous. He feeds the world from his hands. The world belongs to him and it's filled with his glory. And so part of the lesson in Job is when we start to question God, and this is really what he says in, uh, we'll pull up Job uh, in chapter 40. The Lord says, he sums it up in verse two. Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, Job, but do you have the answers? And we have to come to the end of ourselves. And that's where Job is. He's gone through everything he's gone through. And he thinks he understands the situation. And the Lord has to show him, no, Job, you don't understand. You want to be my critic. You want to judge God. And I think there's something in us as a people, particularly in, in, 20, in the you know, 21st century, where we think, we, we think we're quite sophisticated and we can pass judgment and we're, we're really, really wise. But I think, in, you know, a very wise place to be is in the letter uh, in Revelation where Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, you think that you see, but you're blind. And you think that you're rich, but you're poor. You think you're dressed well, but you, you're really naked. And see, God knows our condition spiritually, but do we know our spiritual condition? And Job is a helpful book to remind us of our spiritual condition. You know, Job says it. I, I came into this world naked. I'm going out naked. He gives and he takes away. You know, he says to his wife, uh, are we only going to ever accept good from God's hand and not bad, not the hard, not the challenge, not the adversity, not the refining? Um, and so Job understands this wisdom. He's just really, really in a hurting in a, in a, in a very difficult place. And, you know, this isn't to say that God is not compassionate because he is, you know, Jesus says, I counsel you then therefore to come to me. I'm going to give you eye salve. So you can see, I counsel you to come to me and I'm going to give you gold. That's eternal. That has real value. I'm going to show you what's really valuable. And you come to me, I'm going to clothe you so that you won't be naked and ashamed. He doesn't wad us up and throw us out. You know, God doesn't kill Job. He doesn't kill his friends. He doesn't, I mean, he does have Job pray for his friends so that they're restored. Um, and, and the Lord re rebukes Job's friends because um, they weren't really there for him uh, when he was going through it. And I think that's an important lesson for us too, is what are we, how, what's our posture when people are going through hard things around us? Are we going to be like Job's friends and try to put on our investigator hat dive in and try to figure out and assign attribution and causality to why certain things are happening in their life. we got to remember, we don't have all the information and we don't know. We don't know. And so we've got to learn how to cast our cares onto the Lord because he cares for us. And we need to learn how to help shoulder the burdens of others when they're going through hard things. Um, you know, the, one of the things I appreciate about Jewish culture is when there's a death, they sit Shiva and they, they know how to mourn as a people in a way that I don't as a Gentile, you know, they 40 days where the community kind of recognizes you're grieving someone that was important in your life. And they're just come to your house and sit and cry. And I think it comes out of 
this book, you know, Job, his friends do that for the first seven days. If you remember, they sit in the dust. They don't say a word for seven days. That's actually probably the wisest thing they could have done is just, they just all sat for a while and, and prayed. But, you know, when, when there's devastation, there's trouble, people are suffering. How do we, how can we be there for people with the wisdom of God, with humility and with comfort when they're going through hard things? And, and this is part of what uh, is at the heart of the book of Job. And so do we want to argue with God? I think that's the core question that's before us tonight is, you know, Job is wanting to argue his case before God. And when God's through with him, Job just says, you know, I'm nothing. And I need to clap my hand over my mouth. I've spoken when I, I should have been silent. And I, I thought I understood things, but I, I didn't understand. And so Job in that way exalts the sovereignty of God and the authority of God and the omnipotence of God and, and the omniscience of God. He alone knows all. He alone has all the information that's necessary for us. And so as Jesus says, you know, I counsel you, therefore, come to me. And I thank God that Jesus is the one who says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me that I may give you rest. And so he doesn't look at our state and our condition and judge us and condemn us. He wants to walk with us and strengthen us by his grace so that we can endure by his spirit any challenge that would come our way. And so I'll ask a few questions uh, to kind of start our conversation. would love to hear some of your thoughts. Um, those were just some of mine as we finished the book of Job, a powerful book. And a tr I mean, there's so much more we could say. This is by no means an exhaustive uh, study or anything like that, but just to prime the pump. Um, what lessons did you guys draw in your study of the book of Job? What, what lessons did you feel the Holy Spirit highlighting to you? And anyone who would like to uh, jump in, feel free to unmute and contribute. One thing that, that I learned, hi, Jed, this is Chantel and Andrew. Um, one thing that I learned is uh, when someone is going through something, we don't know everything. And sometimes silence is a way to show that you love someone sitting with them. Um, I love that. And another thing I learned is the power uh, when God uh, said, brace yourself like a man and I will answer. And hearing, I listened to that over and over just because you can hear the power of the Almighty. And just that was another uh, side that I learned of God reading the book of Job, just that he is so powerful and almighty and also his character and his sense of humor. Um, you know, I got from that too. Like, we're, let me just, let me just ask you, Job, uh, were you there when I told where lightning was supposed to go? And just wondering if you were there when I told the sea that you go here and no further. So I was like, 
wow, amazed um, by that. So I just, uh, I'm just in awe of, I learned so much. I learn all, all the time. So that's what I learned. Beautiful. Thank you, Chantel. Yeah, it's kind of get the uh, impression that when the Lord's speaking to him, you know, Job's face is like, you know, uh, you know, whirlwind. He's blown back his hairs, you know. Oh, I got more. I got more than what I asked for. I asked for him to come down, but uh, I wasn't ready for this one. And nor would any of us be, you know, I mean, how many times in the scripture are people when they see an angel, they're falling down, terrified or, or like they're dead. You know, to see God, no one has seen God and lived. That's what the Bible says. Um, my goodness, you know, he is the he, like to your point, Chantel, the most powerful being in all of the universe. And we need to remember that uh, and how we relate to him. Other thoughts? I just wanted to say, I actually did appreciate the humor in it also, Chantel. I really did, you know, because I found that to be, I was like, whoa, <laughs> take a step back there. He was just kind of like one of those, like, you know, I, I mean, he just wasn't playing, you know, he was just like making sure he understood who the creator is, you know, and giving him this list of his awesomeness. And um, so I just appreciated that because I, I mean, the whole time I was reading it, I was just, I had, I would read it over and over. Cause I'm like, this is literally God's God speaking, you know? So I want to take all of this in, like, this is the way he is like interacting here, you know, which he's no respecter of persons. So he would have interacted that way with any one of us, just as Jed said, you know? So um, it's just awesome to, to, that he would even have a conversation like that, I think is amazing and really wonderful. Even in that, because even though there's humor in it, I, I see that he was also, um, he, there was a lot of grace in that, you know, his humor and grace, but he is the creator and he didn't have to be so patient as to kind of help Job to understand the gravity of all of this and who he really is. I was going to say something. I'm Mary Wallace. Um, I really loved when his, uh, the younger of all of them, came in Elihu and saying all the wisdom that he had knowing that all of this came from the Holy Spirit. And from that, God shows up. And I also appreciate every word that God spoke. And I read it slowly and read it again because it was so powerful in his, you know, announcing who he is and the powerful, I, I, I love that part of it. And I can read it over and over and over again to give me so much, you know, it gives you so much um, encouragement on the God that we serve, the God that we love, a loving father. And so it, to me, it was, that was the best, the most amazing part of the book. Amen. 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 I think uh, for me, it is really understanding and seeing that uh, God is personal. You know, he didn't show up on day one and chastise Job. That went on and on and on. And as
as uh, Mary said, when the Holy Spirit spoke and exalted who and brought it all back, said, let me bring you back. Let me bring you back because you got out there some. You know, Job, you're saying some things you probably shouldn't say. You're not thinking clearly right now. So let me bring everybody back and tell you and remind you who God is. So to me, it is, again, showing what Jesus said. If he be lifted up, he will draw men unto him. If God is exalted, then God shows up because now the atmosphere is created for God to be God and to come and bring a deeper revelation and a deeper understanding. Uh, when he tells us that he's slow to anger and quick to forgive, the book of Job and him not showing up until chapter 38 displays all of that. Amen. Because think about, I, I, don't, I don't want you to think about you, I'm going to think about me. And me, normally, someone say something I don't like the first time they say it, I'm ready too. But God didn't. God knew all those things about himself and knew the position that Job and his friends was in. And he lets it go on and on. That's love. That's compassion. That is dis displaying that he is not quick to anger and then do. He's slow to anger. He's quick to forgive. And when Job acknowledges, and I think that was hilarious, that he didn't put his foot in his mouth, not once, but twice. And he says that I spoke once that did not know twice, but I won't do it again. Amen. Uh, then God forgives him because that was him repenting for his wrong. Amen. Job was not throughout this blameless he was righteous in his own eyes amen and his self-righteousness and yes ezekiel does give us that in reference to uh daniel job and joseph but he also goes on to show us noah and abraham which says there's a different level in here somewhere so how do we figure that out mm -hmm. uh, i believe that when god helped Job to understand and remember that he was God and that he has not, he does not have to explain himself to any of us. He doesn't because he is God. But in his love, his compassion, and his mercy, he showed up and said what he said so that he could bring Job back into the reality that I now alone are God and I'm forever true, ever faithful. And I know exactly what I'm doing. And to end it with, and God does all things well. <laughs> Amen. Um, I would like to share something that I, I learned here. Um, in regards to Job's friends and Job himself, you see that these are all people who profess to know God and his nature. But as I as I as I, as God mentioned that these people didn't speak what was true of him, for me I took that to be wow. So that is why it is extremely important for any Christian who would speak about God or who would speak to know of God to know what Scripture actually says and to be accurate in their assessment of who God really is. Because if you're not, you can make God angry. I mean, God was so angry that he asked Job to offer a sacrifice for, <laughs> for, the wrong, for, for, for the wrong things that they said about God himself because God's anger burned against his friends. 
So I'm reminded why it is extremely important. If you're going to mention the name of God and speak of his character, it is extremely important for us to know God. Know him by studying his word. Amen. Uh, that's the part that I got. Um, it's very important for us to learn scriptures, uh, saints. Uh, very, very important. We don't want to uh, speak of God. And uh, uh, I mean, we, I could tell when we read it that his friends spoke of him. Um, um, his friends spoke of him with all sincerity. They didn't have any malice against God's nature, uh, but they were wrong, you see. So it, you could, it could very well mean well, or your motives may be right, but in your accuracy, you may be wrong. So saying it is important for us to study the word of God, know who he is, truly is. Let's be guided by the Holy Spirit so that he can give us the proper interpretation because uh, when he, the spirit has come, he will guide us onto all truth concerning scripture and what's going on around us. So that's what I learned from it. Know God on a personal level. So when you speak of him, you will speak of him rightfully. Amen. Amen. Well, the other thing I want to share real quickly, and I don't know if any of you all did, but come on, let's be real. When Job's friends were saying what they were saying, did you find yourself doing this? Yeah. yeah. Did you, I mean, yes. come on, let's be real. There were yes. things they said, I was saying, yes. oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, woo. I'm just going to be real. I'm, okay, let me speak for me because I don't want y'all to take, take on anything you didn't have. But I was shaking my head and then, you know, when God shows up and said they did not speak well of me, I was like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble because some of the things they were saying, I was agreeing. And this is how God does it. Come on now. Y'all get real on your own time, but I'm going to be real on mine. I found myself doing this. And so when God began to speak to them, I said, oh, Lord, you're talking to me. I had to get on my knees and say, oh, Jesus, help me to know you better. Because, yeah. see, things can sound right. And mm -hmm. we've been educated and cultured into thinking a certain way. Our religion, our family, our upbringing, all of these things. And that's our view of God. And we can be in agreement and be dead wrong because they were <laughs> amen amen that's my mama i want to just bring us back real quick to you know peter when peter gets sifted by satan and i think that's another example <clears throat> you know how does god walk out with peter you know and we obviously know jesus tells him you know you're gonna but before the rooster crows three times you're gonna deny me and this is his best friend. This is the one who said, I'll never, whatever they're going to do to you, I'm going to be with you to the end. This is the man who, who jumps out of the boat, walks on water. This is a rugged fisherman. This is a guy who cuts off another man's ear defending Jesus in the garden just a few minutes later. And yet he gets sifted. And we know the story. He denies Jesus. He's weeping bitterly. He's broken and they go, but he goes back to fishing. And that's really, we meet him later. And we know the story where Jesus comes to him and, you know, says, Peter, do you love me? Three times, right? Peter on the beach in the Galilee, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me to feed my lambs? Right? Peter's like, you know that I love you, Lord. And I just think 
as we're talking about, this is if you, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this is how Jesus and his character deals with our failures. I mean, the, the kindness of God. Uh, I mean, he even tells him, he says, when, after you've been saved, when you come back, strengthen the brothers. I mean, this is mind-blowing how God, he knows we're weak and he knows we're going we're gonna to drop the ball. But he's even telling us, hey, after you drop the ball, Peter, I want you to come back and strengthen the brothers. This is who God is. This is the character of God. And how he views us in our weakness and in our failures. And even when we're tested. And so just want us as we're talking about these difficult uh, trials and the ups and downs, the roller coaster we can go on. God doesn't go up and down. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as Sylvia said, he's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And as a father has compassion on his children, so he has compassion on those who fear him. And that's Psalm 103. So uh, any other thoughts out there as we're chewing on lessons from the book of Job? I have a question. Um, Okay. Um, When you were talking about sifting and the devil um, was sifting Peter, why did the devil want to come against Job and why did he want to sift Peter? Well, what do you think? Do you have any thoughts? No, I know the answer, you know, like you said, you know, when he was done to go and help and strengthen the brothers. But I mean, why didn't he do it to John or to someone else? I mean, what was the purpose? Was it to destroy him? Was it to destroy his character? Was it to tell Jesus, hey, you know, or did he know, um, wanted to destroy what Peter would become? Maybe. You know, Peter, obviously, uh, was going to play a huge role. He preaches on Pentecost. (laughs) He's uh, he he has he's a central figure going forward. He ends up being martyred, and so maybe part of the sifting is just to get us to quit. You know, he's wanting to get Peter to quit and disqualify himself from the story. Be like, see, Peter, you you're not you're not good enough, and and you're not strong enough to follow Christ. So just give up. And you know, I, we don't know what was in Peter's heart when he's there fishing. We just know he's gone back to, he's he's upset with himself. We know he's weeping bitterly. And we know he goes back to what he knows, which is fishing. Um, but as soon as he sees Jesus on the beach and knows it's the Lord, he just takes off his clothes and jumps in the water and is going after Jesus. So I think the sifting is to, from Satan's perspective, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus said. The enemy comes to do those three things. But Jesus said, I came that it have life and life to the full. And so our life is bound up in the life of Christ when we're in covenant with him. But Satan comes to discourage and to try and rob and destroy everything God's doing in our lives. 
Amen. But Yeshua knew Peter's heart. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything since he made and fashioned us with his hands. So therefore, he knew that even though Peter messed up, that Peter would feel bad. And he knew um, his heart, that he knew that Peter did truly love him, even though, you know, he knows our frame. He knows we're dust. We're dust bunnies. He could snuff us out at any time, you know, our creator. But um, that's where his mercy and love comes in. Thank you. Thank you. I also feel like Peter was such a leader uh, and, you know, um, in, in his way of doing things. And w when you when you try to take out the leader, it just disarmed everybody else for a minute. But but he saw in the he saw the power in him as Jesus saw the power in Peter. He knew what Peter was going to become. And so did Satan. So I think for me, that's the way I looked at it is, you know, just like he chose Job to be the one to do these things to, Peter was chosen as well, but Peter was a leader. And, uh, a, and a lot of people looked up to him. So that was kind of where I, I saw that. That's just my thoughts. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you. Um, if, if I may add something that I've, I've just learned, thank God for the revelation, is uh, Pastor Jeb, when you mentioned about uh, what Jesus prayed and, and revealed to Peter about him, uh, that Satan has desired to, to, to see him like we, but he has prayed that his strength will not fail. Um, I love that because, see, Jesus is telling that he will go through what Satan is going to put him through, just like Job went through what Satan put him through. Um, uh, and so it, it's, it's kind of a revelation to all of us that as Christians, there is a certainty that we are going to go through things and that God will allow those things. But he's allowing those things again to, 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 to strengthen us. Uh, when we speak of, uh, um, uh, last week, uh, why God allows suffering, you know, um, um, uh, uh, Pastor Sylvia, uh, uh, we had a little questionnaire about that, and many people gave their revelations as to why God allows suffering. So, and I, I come to the understanding that it is all for the benefit of the saint uh, to build you up. This suffering is allowed by God. So, as Christians, when we go through this, uh, I, I believe we ought to rejoice because this is a moment where God is using to build us, build us up. In, 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 in many other ways. So uh, just like Job went through this, it built him up. Um, Peter, got, Joe, Jesus was telling Peter he's going to go through the, uh, a time of thieving from Satan. But after he overcomes, it's almost like Jesus knew that he will overcome. There's going to be some overcoming to come back and strengthen his brethren. So it, it, it's like in twofold. God is telling us that we will go through 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 certain things, but by his power, we will be overcomers. And when we overcomers, to go back to the brethren who is going through, or who will be going through certain things because they're in the body, and strengthen them by our testimony about what God has done to us. So that's what I really gleaned from this, and it's really, really powerful. And now when I go through suffering, when I go through pain, when I go through various trials, I rejoice because I know that it's meant to build it, and God allowed it. If he didn't allow it, it would never happen to me to begin with. Amen. 
No, I want to jump in here and say this too. And I think what we have to remember that's not often spoken in our uh, Christian doctrines and religious upbringings and all those things today mm -hmm. is God never told you that you weren't going to suffer. As a matter of fact, Jesus told you that you are. He said that he did and so would we. And he is not surprised. He doesn't wake up in the middle of what's going on with you and say, what the world? That's my expression. It's not his. God knows as he knew what was going to take place in what the enemy would do unto Job. He also knew Job's posturing. He knew his strength and his weakness, everything he knows about you. And oftentimes, if we will allow it, that suffering is to rid of those things that the enemy will use against you because God is taking you to a different place. Peter had to be shifted. Why? Because in the shifting, he grew in his ability to be able to stand and to know who Christ was. And in that knowing, it was part of the preparation so that when the Holy Spirit came, he would be able to now to begin to do those things that uh, would be done in boldness. And to set an example to us that there is no place that we can go that the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit can't bring us out of. Amen. Uh, we have to experience things. And the things that I experience, you know, I can now encourage you that God's going to bring you through it because he brought me to it. I remember when my father passed away and I had well-meaning people who told me, oh, I know how you feel. Well, their dad was standing right beside them. They didn't know how I felt. Thank you. You were trying to help me, but you did not. But when we have gone through the testing, when we've gone through the fire, when we've gone through those things that, yes, God allows them because he's not asleep. His hand is not tied behind his back while he's sitting on the throne. He is well aware and he knows it. Amen. And with him, in him, we will make it through. And it is so. The ones he's going to send behind you, you can now when you say, I know like Job did, my redeemer lives. It's because you've been tested and you know that he lives. It's not abstract. I know that I know because I know what he did for me. And therefore, I know what he'll do for you. My last point, and then I'm going to be quiet is, see, because I know what he did for you. When you come to me and ask me to pray for you, I can pray a prayer of faith based on conviction of who he is and what he's done. Amen. If I haven't gone through anything, prayer is nice, but mm -mm, I cannot pray the house down because I don't have the faith to really believe. I love what you're saying, Sylvia. It reminds me of the theologian A.W. Tozer said, God won't use a person deep, greatly until he wounds him deeply. Amen. And, you know, we overcome, according to the book of Revelation, we overcome Satan with the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives so as to shrink back from death. And, and that's, you only get there. When you have, when you, when God has revealed Himself personally through your struggles and through your pain, through trials and through persecution, 
um, through suffering. And I think it's important for us to know um, because God permits something does not mean he condones it. Um, <laughs> there's a difference. You know, uh, he may permit something, but it, you know, I think we tend to think, where was God when this happened? Uh, and when he permits something that made that is evil, like what Satan did to Job was evil. God actually permitted it, but it doesn't mean he condoned it. He allowed it. It doesn't mean he authored it. And I think we have to uh-huh. wrestle that out with him. But here's the thing that's really tough. No one has suffered more than Jesus. There's never been a, a more unjust trial than the trial of Jesus. There's never been a more horrific suffering uh, that was put on an innocent person than what happened to Christ. And, it, and the Bible says in Isaiah 53, please God to crush him. Uh-huh. That is heavy. But when we're lining up with Christianity, this is what we're lining up for is God will. And we already looked at Joseph. You know, this is, you know, Job following on from Joseph. These are some heavy stories where the, the, the idea that what was meant for evil, God is going to use it for good. And, and there is a beauty in how that works. You know, that what's all of the evil that was done to Jesus resulted in the greatest possible good for all of humanity. Um, and so that's why for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. And so we have to be like him. That's the point is just as Jesus surrendered his will, not my will, but yours done. I don't want to drink this cup, Father, but if this is your will, I will drink it because I know. You're not going to let your righteous one rot in the grave, right? He knew. He knew his father had good coming for him, even through all the evil that he had to walk through. And so there's hope. (laughs) Even though we got to go through some hard things, uh, we can have hope because God is good. And he's going to work together all things together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. And if you don't quit, you win. Amen. Pastor Jed, I just want to say um, that I think that there's a point in what you're saying um, to recognize that Job also is a type of Christ, a foreshadowing, Mm. um, you know, of of Jesus, who, as you just said, suffered innocently centuries later. You know, Jesus was a righteous man, but he suffered as if he were a guilty man. And so that's what we're seeing here in the book of Job. And I just think it's so neat because there are these foreshadowings of Christ all the way to the earliest book of the Bible here in the book of Job. You know, Job knew the God of nature, not the God of grace yet, but he was being used by God as this foreshadowing of what was to come. And this is also one of the things I believe where Jesus said, you know, um, with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that he opened their eyes and revealed himself through all of these scriptures. He helped unlock, you know, these scriptures to them to where they could see the foreshadowing. And so I believe that he also does that with us. And I think that's what's happening right here as you're talking about that, that we're able to see that Job was was one of these 
representations because we we see that word used in the new testament that there were foreshadows of christ in the old testament which is the beautiful thing about going through the old testament you know so many people can get stuck in the new testament not understanding how all of this flows and you can't fully understand the old testament i'm sorry the new testament if you're not looking into these things you can um, take a take the New Testament out of context, and I think we'll see that more as we begin um, this journey, getting into the next book, Exodus, that we're going to jump into. You know, as we start watching the story of Israel unfold. But I just well, I just thought it was a neat um, neat thing to recognize with what you were saying. That's awesome point. And uh, one one final thought, and then we'll open up for for folks. I know that people might want to jump off at eight thirty, but you can stay until nine. And we'll keep talking, but. You know, God never really explains Satan to Job. He doesn't doesn't really they don't really have the court case that Job really wanted. Job, Job the whole time is contending. I just need to state my case before God. If he would just give me an audience and I could lay it out, he's gonna come to my defense. Da 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 da. You know, and here's the point. When we're really going through tough times, we just need a father who's gonna be present with us. And God's presence impacted Job. Said it set him right. We don't. We don't need to have a court case with God. We don't need to argue our case. We just need His presence. We just need Him. And as we're going through things, we may want to argue and fight it out. But as we worship, His presence can just set you free, and you can have what the Bible says: peace that passes understanding. Peace that guards your heart, even in the midst of great a great storm, you can be like Jesus asleep at the boat. Um, so, anyway, it's I love this book. Uh, there's so much to mine in it. You know, an hour and, and a half is nowhere near, obviously, enough to to do it justice. But it is as we're passing through uh, the scriptures on this journey, great to visit these topics and these themes because they speak to what we're going through today. Um, so any other any other folks want to have any thoughts uh, or comments, questions on what you were drawing from the book? I have a question. Hello? Sure, go ahead. Um, from going back to Pastor Sylvia last week about the suffering and what um, Krista said about um, Job being a type and shadow of Yeshua and his suffering, um, even though he was in, you know, he's innocent. Um, in Hebrews, it talks about that Yeshua learned obedience through suffering. Why would he need to learn obedience if he was already obedient? I mean, he was the, you know, he's the son of God. He did. He was obedient in everything. So what would be the purpose of Yeshua learning obedience through suffering? Well, I mean, I can offer a few a few thoughts, but we'd love to hear others as well. But to me, you know, it's one thing when you can say um, when you when you're actively resisting temptation. It's, it's, it's like you can make an empty claim and I'll just tell you a quick story. Okay. And I'll be vulnerable. Uh, you know, and you guys that are married will understand me. I had this dream one time and my wife was having an affair 
in my dream. And if you've ever had a dream where your spouse is cheating on you, you don't wake up happy. <laughs> so I woke up and, but as, as soon as I woke up, the Lord was with me because in the dream, she, she didn't actually commit adultery. She was having feelings for another man. And then she chose not to commit adultery, but I was still angry that she had feelings for another person. And when I woke up, the Lord was with me and he said, do you understand that she chose you? She had these, other, she, she could have gone this way, but she chose you. It was tested. Her love was tested. And, and this is just in the dream, but she chose the, the right thing, even though she was tempted. And so we can make a bold claim, kind of like Peter did. I'll be there with you in the end. I'll die with you. That's an empty claim. And when it was tested and the suffering was there, he was sifted and didn't follow through. And I think going back to what you're saying about Jesus, he learned obedience through suffering. He endured. And, and so his obedience, his will, not my will, but yours, Father, be done. He went through. It wasn't an empty claim. The suffering proved it because he endured it. And he didn't, you know, he put his money where his mouth was um, because the suffering required him to, to submit and to trust his father through it all. And so if the suffering had never come, if the, if, if the, if the love is never tested, is it really love? You know, if there was never a garden, if there was never a tree in the garden and the Lord said, if there was never a choice, would we really love God? How do we, without choice, how do we prove and demonstrate our obedience or our love? Um, so these are just a few thoughts that I have of, why suffering or challenge or even temptation can require a active obedience and a resistance in us to what the flesh wants or to go our own way and why we have to submit in obedience to what the Holy Spirit's doing. And that may require going through the suffering in order to stay true to the love that we have for God. Jake, can I help? Amen. Can I jump in there too and make yeah. a few comments? And the comments that I would make is that, remember this, he was fully God, but he was fully man, which means the scripture tells us that every temptation that was known to man, so did Jesus go through. So when we look at the suffering, the suffering didn't begin the day he got on the cross. Jesus had to deny himself just like we do. Now, I want you to think and just go with me because we see it throughout scripture, meaning that he had the same nature as we do in the fully man, that he had to submit and surrender unto God on a daily basis. Jesus would go out and he would lay hands on the people. He would perform miracles and they would be like, wow, no one speaks like him. No one does. Who is this? Who is this? Come on, ego. He had the same thing. He wanted to belong and join with the crowd and be accepted in all of those things. And so it's rising up in him just like it did you and I, because he couldn't do what he did as God. Otherwise, we're all in trouble. He had to do it as we did, fully man, surrender to God, feel with the Holy Spirit, and walking and operating in obedience to the Spirit of God. And so things were rising up, and what he would do was, you know, when he would go off by himself, 
See, I believe that when he was praying, Jesus was praying like you and I to come back and to remain in right relationship with God so that he could finish the work and he could finish it well. But it was not that he was oblivious to those things. He weren't. They were calling out on him. Satan was uh, trying to take him down, trying to steal, kill, all the same things. He had the same uh, effects and the same things of darkness coming against him. And so there was suffering. He was rejected by his brothers. You know, the first time they came to get him, they thought he was crazy. Amen. So he went through some suffering and things, and that was teaching him along the way about obedience. Here's the point I want to make. Obedience does not come when the major thing comes. Obedience is a day-by-day, step-by-step thing. What I tell people is that if you can't obey God in the small things, you're going to be in trouble by the time what we consider the great and the large things come. So every day he was learning obedience to whatever he was suffering at that time. So by the time Calvary came, hallelujah, after he had surrendered totally to God in the garden, that's how he could stand before Pilate like a sheep led to the slaughter and speak not a word. Yes, definitely. Definitely, I agree with all that. And um, just wanted to speak, Pastor Sylvia, to, to some of the things that you just said and to um, Pastor Jed and to, to Krista. One thing I love about the book of Job is that it, 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 you have this panoramic view, this view of, of all of the heavenlies, the spiritual realm that's going on. You've got your major cast of players. You've got Satan. You know, you got, you got your man, Job. You've got the three friends. And then you've got, you know, Lord God Almighty. And, and throughout the entire book, you're going, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And key to all of this that we're talking about from Job to Peter to Jesus is relationship. Do we know about him the Lord, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or do we know him? And so we go from strength to strength, faith to faith, glory to glory. And just when we go deeper and higher and wider in intimacy, the Lord will allow these cast of characters, friends, uh, the enemy, Satan, God himself, the spiritual realm, things to crank up. And it's all for us to, to, to come to a level of intimacy with him. Why else would the Bible say, um, you know, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything. And you look at, you look at finally, Job says, finally, he says, I know my redeemer lives. So he goes from knowing about him and listening to knowing him mm -hmm. where God himself in the last four chapters and or actually six chapters of Job, you, you cannot, you, by the time you, you, you finish that, you're on your face. And then you go to, to the, the disciple Peter and the apostle Peter. Mm. And there was such a, a growth and, and, and the pruning and what, what Satan came to do. You know, God knew in his sovereignty, this was going to be Peter, the rock in which I was going to build my church. So you go ahead. You take everything you've got and take it at him, just like you did with Job pre-cross. Now we got Peter being sifted. You know, now we got him coming through. 
Now, here we are post-cross with everything that Jesus Christ did for us. And what Jesus did, he, he took on Satan. He took on death, hell, the grave. He made disciples into apostles. You know, he, he and, and what he has, he's no respecter of persons. What he will do for one, he will do for all. But we all go from knowing about him to knowing him deep, intimately, personally. And what are we going to do with it? Yeah, we got Satan on our side, on our back. We've got a target. Absolutely. But we've got the sovereignty of the Lord God Almighty. We have the finished work of the cross, you know, behind us. We got the line of Judah in front of us. And we've got the word, the name, and the blood. And so, you know, it's just a beautiful reminder to go, we're not alone. We're full. We have holy help. We have, there's a holy hush. We got holy help. There's a holy roar. And, and, and if we can just stand back and look at this panor panoramic view of all the greats in the Bible and learn from it, and our takeaway is we cannot fail because Jesus didn't fail. If Jesus failed, we would have failed. But because he did not fail, we cannot fail. So we know our Redeemer lives, and to God be glory. Amen. It's uh, so good, Jackie. And the fellowship of his sufferings, to know the fellowship of his sufferings. That's what Paul said. Yes. And yes. Jesus says about Paul, I will show him how much he has to suffer for me. That's right. It's called. And you look at that man. There's another example of what you said. Here's a, you know, a tremendous growth from Saul, the Gamaliel yeah. student to Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles and the, the cost of that call, but the beauty and the power of it and the intimacy that the knowledge and the revelation that Paul had That's right. through those sufferings to communicate uh, the mystery of God and the mystery of salvation to Jews and Gentiles and the gospel of the kingdom. Right. What a what a messenger. Mm -hmm. But it was the suffering that the Lord wove into his story that made him have his heart. Yes. Uh, and, and that's the necessary ingredient, isn't it? Like you said, we can know about him or we can know him, you know, and we they're not the same. You can read all the books in the world about marriage or you can be married. Right. Right. And, and there's there, it's good to read books. But then there's the knowledge of actually walking out a relationship. That's right. So you can know the Bible, but does the Bible know you? Does the Lord of the Bible know you? And do you know right. him? And I love that's such a beautiful way that you, you said that. So thank you, Jackie. Thank you. And the last thing I want to say, you, you alluded to, to one of my heroes, Paul. And, um, you know, it comes down to him saying, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. Then he goes on and on and on. And just the poetic beauty of that. So, amen. Amen. So the bottom line is, as Christians, as much as we may not want to, we have to get to that place uh, based and with the Holy Spirit that we embrace the suffering. We embrace it uh, because it is going to come. The great news is God will be there with us every step of the way, every step of the way. And we learn so much about who he is 
as we're going through. Amen. Well, and I think it's also good for us to note that the problems of suffering um, don't have to be resolved in this life. They don't, you know, because we know that there's going to be a final and a public vindication with God's righteousness applied to the entire human race. And so that's the hope of glory that mm. we set our sights on is what's to come. That regardless, you know, it's like we're, we are able to walk through the trials and know just as um, uh, Jackie just said, you know, we are from a, from a position of victory already, regardless of what it looks like here. You know, the Lord said, don't worry about what they can do to your body you know, worry about the one who can throw your soul in hell. You know, there's nothing that can happen here. You know, it might look like it's over here, but it's not over. You know, we, this is why, you know, when we do lose people here um, at, that are Christians, we have, we have a different sort of hope than the world does. You know, we don't mourn and grieve the same way because we know we're going to, we're going to meet again. You know, we have, we have a hope of glory. We have a, a, a hope of what, you know, just the same thing that Christ, he went to the cross for the hope that was set before him, you know? And so we also endure sufferings and sometimes it does lead to the grave. You know, there's martyrs that, you know, Pastor Sylvia and I were talking on the phone the other day, and she was sharing with me some stories of uh, the testimonies of martyrs that literally were singing songs in the fire. They were praising the Lord in flames as they were being burned. And we were just talking about, you know, how incredible that testimony is, because, you know, that can't be done in the flesh. That's, you know, the Bible says, oh, death, where is your sting? I mean, it's just like how glorious God is, is that we just don't have to fear. We don't, you know, he's not giving us a spirit of timidity. You know, we're not to shrink back from things in this world, afraid of what's going to happen to our flesh or what could be taken from us, because we have so much ahead of us. And this Amen. is nothing, this mm -hmm. is nothing. you know, and, and literally life is but a vapor, right? It's what mm -hmm. um, King Solomon said. He said, here today, gone tomorrow. So, I mean, if we just press on knowing that these promises for us are true it helps us get through whatever sufferings that we're asked to walk through regardless just knowing that we can trust we can trust the lord in it we can trust and know that if he has allowed it then it is for our good in some way and it is for his glory and it might be for the good of our family it might be for the good of our grandchildren who are behind us we don't know we just don't know the whole story just like um, Jed was saying earlier, you know, Job wasn't given the details of what was happening in he heaven. He didn't understand why God let this happen, but there was good in the end. God restored him. You know, he restored him and gave him back double for his trouble. And, um, you know, it, and his relationship with God ultimately was deepened. And if that is the key to all of it is that it's about intimacy with him. You know, there's no greater reward than mm. his presence and our relationship with him becoming stronger. It's so good. One of the, one of the names of the Lord is the wonderful counselor. And, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is in the Greek is the paraclete, the comforter. And why would you be named that if, you know, if there's no suffering, there's no need for comfort. And, you know, if, if we've got it all figured out and then why do you need a counselor? You know, and, and as we're talking about these things, like this is the way that God chooses to tell us who he is. This is his name. And I know in my own life, I can think through, and I'm sure you can too, if you think through some things you've been through, suffering. And some things that the Lord has told me saved me months and months of in, in therapy. 
<laughs> the simplest truth that the Holy Spirit can give you as the wonderful counselor can just fix you and set some truth in your heart. And, you know, what Krista said so true, this world, we're just passing through. We are pilgrims on our way. This is not our home. He is our home. The new Jerusalem is coming. Abraham saw the new Jerusalem. It's what Hebrews says. And his heart was anchored not in the city made by the hands of man, but by the hands of God. You know, our ultimate destination is glorious. But we lose perspective. Just like Job, right? Job lost perspective uh, because he was hurting. And the fog of war descends and we struggle to see and perceive what's going on because of all of the commotion and chaos around us. And that's when we need that the, the Holy Spirit, the wonderful counselor to speak deep, deep unto deep. And But until you go through that suffering, you won't know that ministry that, that he has in that capacity. And so, so the fellowship of his sufferings, the, the knowledge that we gain in those places is unlike any other, really. I also think that, uh, you know, Jed and Krista, what you said is so very important. And it also helps us to understand that, you know, do we really see ourselves as passing through, you know, because our response to things uh, sometimes give a different perspective and they will help us to see really how attached we are to this world. How do we respond to loss? How do we respond to, you know, our loved ones, especially those that are in Christ passing away? You know, um, you know, the trials, the things are an indication that even speaks into what Jackie said. I know we're not robots, but it's an indication of the depths of your intimacy with God, because when we are and we know that there is this great intimacy and that he's going to be there every step of the way. I can talk to him. I can share this. I'm not alone. I may be alone physically, but I'm not alone because he is with me. And my perspective is that I'm here because God has placed me here on assignment for him. And I belong to him. And when he chooses, whatever he chooses to do with me, he has a right to choose. Amen. And when my time comes, if that's tomorrow, then my desire is that I am right with God. Amen. And I didn't come here with the expectation that I'll be here forever. Maybe early on, but as you walk with Christ and as that depth of relationship goes deeper, then our perspective changes because he changes us from the inside out. And we start looking and seeing things totally different, totally different. And knowing that, again, suffering is a part of it. There was nothing right about when we say, well, that wasn't right. There was nothing right about what Jesus went through, but he did it for us. And it is that same Jesus who, having gone through suffering, prayed that the Father would send us the comforter, that he would send us the counselor so that he could help us through every single day. When we praise God in the suffering, it draws the presence of God and he's able to strengthen us 
in everything that we're going through. Amen. And I also think, too, um, just to dovetail what you're talking about, Pastor Sylvia, um, you know, we get to to have a, a choice in this because we've been blessed with free will and our free will is so powerful. And, um, you know, we get to, to decide what legacy do we want to leave, like Crystal was talking about and Pastor Jed, you know, we are a vapor. But, you know, we, we, we get to a point in our Christian walk, okay, we have salvation, check. You know, then, then we go through sanctification, we're discipled, we begin learning about the Lord. So, so we, our identity is squared out in Christ. But then we come to a point where suffering helps define our purpose, helps define our destiny. And our purpose and our destiny helps decide what kind of legacy we're going to leave on this earth, because everything is going to just, it's, it's dust to dust, ashes to ashes, all the materialistic stuff is, is just going to de- deteriorate. But the only true legacy that any of us can leave is Jesus Christ and him crucified, Jesus Christ. And, you know, I look on the screen and I see people that they have this amazing faith walk. And I've, I've walked with them. I've, I've talked with them. I've listened to their testimony. And I've seen what the Holy Spirit and what the Lord, what the word of God has done for them and their faith walk encourages my faith walk. And, and I'm, I'm just like, wow, you know, that woman is storing up treasures in heaven. And it's not that she wants to go. I want five crowns. She's just going that God be glorified and magnified that he be glorified in the suffering, in the valley, in the mountaintop. the trials, the tribulations, the temptations, all that stuff. And so, you know, through relationship, part of it is the suffering. Part of it is uh, just understanding that we get, we have this awesome, amazing, miraculous opportunity to live a life for Christ and lead. That's the only real thing that we can leave on this earth is a legacy of Christ and how we stewarded it and what we were able to do with it. And, and, you know, it may not, we may not understand it, but it may speak volumes in the generations to come or volumes around people that we don't even know. And I think the cool thing too, is that we're talking about relationship. We're talking about our relationship with, with father, son, and Holy spirit, their relationship with us. But it's so cool when God changes our name and all these characters that, you know, well, Joe, he didn't, but, you know, Peter, he did, Abraham, he did, Sarah, he did, uh, Saul, Paul, he did. I wonder what my new name is. It's just, you know, I wonder which crown I get to cast, you know, throughout eternity. You know, what, what, this is just such a, a second in time. And we have this eternal perspective and God's showing us this panoramic view through Joe, through Christ. Through, through, through the, the disciple Peter and the apostle Peter. And we get to learn and glean from that. But the, the expectation the hope is to be able to cast those crowns and magnify him throughout eternity, but also here in the middle of the suffering. These momentary light afflictions, right? Achieving for us the heavier weight of glory. And the apostle Paul talks about and so I know we're we're heading down the pipe here uh, towards nine o'clock, but man, we're on this 
track of seeing ourselves and seeing this life in view of eternity. And that's, that's bread for the journey. That's what this is all about is our time together, allowing the word of God to inform our perspectives and to teach us to, to walk his way. You know, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when you have that eternal perspective, like Jackie's talking about, um, not everything might, you know, he said, consider it all joy when people say all these bad things about you, when you get lied on, when uh, all kinds of evil things, your reward in heaven is great. Take great joy when you get persecuted for my sake. Um, you know, Paul talks about the secret of being content in abundance and content in lack, uh, you know, and, and finding our contentment and our delight and our pleasure in God. You know, can, is it possible to sing hymns when you're being burned at the stake? Is it possible to worship God in a jail cell bound in chains? Uh, you know, it's possible. And this is where, you know, we need God in us to love God. You know, that as his word grows in us, we become more like him as we surrender our hearts and our thoughts and our minds are renewed as we walk through this. And so um, wondering if uh, there'd be someone that would want to close us out in prayer tonight um, that hasn't shared any other uh, volunteers there that would like to pray us home or pray us out. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, Father, we thank you for today. We bless you and we honor your name, O King of Glory. We thank you for this moment in your presence, O Lord God, for this time, O Lord God. Learning how to live according to your will, O Father, Lord God. Learning how to build our relationship with you, O Lord God, and how to know and trust in you, O Father. Daddy, we thank you and we honor your name, O Father. We thank you because it is great, O Lord God, to fellowship one with another, O Lord God, in this moment, O Father, in this last days, O Lord God. Getting deeper and deeper in your word, O Father, seeking to know you more, O Lord. Daddy, we pray and we give you all the glory. Father, Lord God, thank you oh lord god for the great men and women that you brought together oh father to put this together to teach us oh lord god your word oh father how we come and we share we interact with one another oh father lord god how wonderful it is oh king of glory father lord we give you all the honor and all the praise because your name alone oh father shall be praised at the end oh father and all the glory will be given unto you because you deserve it all father lord god we bless you for this night and we pray that as we depart oh lord god from what, on this line, oh Father, we are not departing from your presence, oh Father. But may your presence go with us, oh Lord God, into our homes, oh Lord God. For those that are still on their way, even those that are at work, oh Father, listening to this moment, oh Father, listening to this teaching, oh Lord. That I pray that may you bless each and every one of us in the name of Jesus. That that your word that we have learned tonight, oh Father, it may be written in our hearts, oh Lord God. That that when the temptations come, oh Father, Lord God, we will stand strong in the name of Jesus, and we shall be overcomers in the name of. Jesus. Father, Lord God, we 
praise your name tonight, oh Father. And we pray that may you bless our night, oh Father. May your presence fill our homes, oh Lord. That, that even as we leave this line, oh Lord, we will continue to read your word, oh Father. We will continue to study even with our families, with our children, oh Lord, with our loved ones, oh Father. So even know you more and more, oh Father, in the name of Jesus. And we pray that we will not only be hearers of your word, oh Father, as we study here, but we, we oh Lord God, be doers as well in the name of Jesus. Help us and give us that bonus to go out and share your word, oh Father. Help us and give us that bonus, oh Lord God, to stand firm, oh Lord God, and proclaim that you are our Lord and our God, that you are our master, oh Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Come and bless us all, oh Father, and be with us now and forevermore. In Jesus' mighty name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. 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 Well, Amen. God. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless all of you and keep you until we meet again next Monday evening, 7.30, same time, same place. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom. Amen, shalom. Amen.